Welcome to the HF21 series on the CHFS perspective and case-based approach on the 2021 CHFS CCS Park Player Guidelines. In this episode, which is entitled, Is it Time for Device Implantation Yet? You will learn how to recognize when your patient with heart failure should be referred on for CRT or ICD implant. What do the 2021 CCS CHFS guideline updates recommend? in terms of device types and timing of implantation, and how do we evaluate the risks and benefits for individual patients? An on-demand version of the 30-minute episode presented on the same topic by me is available right now at www.imedicus.ca slash hf21. To learn more about the Canadian Heart Failure Society and find out more about upcoming programs and initiatives, you can visit www.heartfailure.ca. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm Dr. Ryan Davey. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Medicine, Division of Cardiology, the Heart Failure Service at the University of Western Ontario in London. And I will be walking you through today's case on a patient named Eugene. So Eugene is a 68-year-old gentleman who has ischemic cardiomyopathy and has had coronary artery bypass grafting in the past. He has an LVEF of 25%, and he is New York Heart Association Class 3. His medications at present include scubitril valsartan, 49-51 milligrams BID, Sopralol 5 milligrams a day, spironolactone 12.5 milligrams per day, empagliflozin 10 milligrams per day, and frosamide 40 milligrams per day. His vitals, his blood pressure is 105 over 70. His heart rate is 72 beats per minute. His ECG shows sinus rhythm with a non-specific intraventricular conduction delay. The QRS width is 155 milliseconds. The NT-Pro BNP on his lab work is 1200 picograms per milliliter, which is significantly elevated. BUN is 17, creatinine is 165, and potassium is 5.7. So he is experiencing significant impact on his quality of life, and he really would like to explore some options that can provide him some symptom relief. He's able to move around his house. He's able uh, to do basic things, moving from bedroom to bathroom, but is unable to go to the mailbox on the street, which is about 50 meters away. And once he does that, he does experience some chest discomfort and needs to rest. Um, he can't climb a flight of stairs without getting short of breath, and he has significant swelling in his lower limbs. He comments that exercise tolerance has really been decreasing and he's not able to accomplish any exercises at all. He finds really he's only comfortable when he's at rest. So what would we think should be the next appropriate course of action? If we think about this, what would be the next appropriate course of action? Should we just refer Eugene immediately for ICD or CRT? Should we titrate up his medications to maximal doses? 
Should we increase his diuretics? Or should we titrate medications and then refer for CRT or ICD? So I'll let you think about what you would want to do as we kind of move on and go through the guidelines. And remember, there are new 2021 CCS CHFS guidelines. And those state that after you make a diagnosis of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, standard medical therapy should be initiated and titrated to target or maximally tolerated doses before you repeat the LVEF and refer for ICD or CRT. Remember, what are those type medications? Those are beta blockers, ACE, ARB, or ARNI, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, and SGLT2 inhibitors. So four medications now. And once you've got those titrated and the LVEF is still less than 35% and the patient is ambulatory, you should refer for CRT or ICD. So which device would be appropriate for you, Gene? ICD or CRT? So let's talk about that. ICD, it's recommended for patients with HEF-REF with a history of hemodynamically significant or sustained ventricular arrhythmias. Of course, that's easy. When your patient has sustained ventricular arrhythmias and they've got a low EF, it's a bit of a no-brainer. They're going to go for an ICD. But what about for primary prevention? That is in patients who have ischemic uh, or non-ischemic coronary artery disease, and especially ischemic after they've been revascularized, and you've optimized GDMT and they still have HEPREF, they should be referred on for ICD. Now, of course, you, they may or may not require a CRT, cardiac resynchronization therapy. And who do we refer that? Who gets that? Well, patients who are in sinus rhythm, who are ambulatory, who have a low EF, less than 35%, and a left bundle branch block with uh, a QRS greater than 130 milliseconds. You can also consider those who have QRSs greater than 150 milliseconds, but don't have a classical left bundle branch block. Additionally, patients who are in permanent atrial fibrillation or require chronic RV pacing and are still symptomatic uh, may benefit from CRT. And really the data for this is drawn from two studies, ICDs, from the SCUD-HEF study, which shows that if you compare placebo to ICD therapy, the five-year event rate uh, in placebos were 244 deaths and in ICDs were 182 deaths. So that means that the hazard ratio is 0.77. CRTs, the landmark trial was CARE-HF, looking at all-cause deaths or unplanned hospitalization. And again, uh, at about the same amount of follow-up, the hazard ratio was just 0.63. So both uh, quite significant. Uh, there is some discussion that uh, perhaps in those who are non-ischemic, uh, they may not gain the same amount of benefit uh, than those are, who are ischemic. And I think that especially, uh, we looked at that in the Danish study, um, uh, and that really showed that uh, there was not a significant association with lower long-term death rates. Uh, but the same uh, decrease was seen um, 
uh, in Paradigm HF, which was the Entresto landmark trial. So the data is conflicted. And I think that certainly in practice, if you have an EF, which is borderline 30 to 35% and a non-ischemic, uh, maybe uh, you would think about whether or not they would require an ICD. Um, Final polling question, which therapy has not demonstrated favorable LV structural changes in clinical trials, beta blockers, RNAs, SGLT2 inhibitors, ACEs, or ARBs? So you can think about that. Has not resulted in favorable LV structural changes, uh, also known as reverse remodeling. And really the bottom line is, we know that beta blockers have structural favorable structural changes, RAS inhibitors, that is ACE, ARB, ARNIs, uh, definitely improve LVEF. MRAs definitely have that antifibrotic effect and they can improve your LV structural um, function. SGLT2 inhibitors, we still haven't really elucid elucidated the full mechanism there. Um, and we haven't been able to show um, whether or not there is a significant improvement uh, in LVEF. Uh, being on one of the SGLT2 inhibitors. So what should we do with Eugene? We should titrate his therapy over the next few weeks. Remember, he wasn't at full doses. Once those medications are titrated, we reevaluate after three months and then refer on for ICD. So I think the practical tip is it's really important not only to know what the to date GDMT is, what the goal-directed medical therapies are for HEFREF, but also to know the doses. Um, and you've got to try to get the patients to target dose. That is either the dose that was the target in the study or uh, their maximal tolerated dose. Once that's done, you assess their ejection fraction after three months, assess for any other arrhythmic or non-arrhythmic sudden cardiac death risk, and then refer them on for ICD or CRT. At that point, you can also think about, before you refer them on, about using Evabradine if their heart rate still is sitting above 70 to 75. Um, so, and it's important that we don't delay that because as new goal-directed medical therapies start to roll out over the next few years, we're going to probably take even more time to get to the appropriate doses. And so we need to get that done as quickly as possible. So we're not leaving people unprotected. Um, and so we have to do that uh, as quickly and as feasibly as possible. And we have to recheck that LVEF after three months of getting on to goal-directed medical therapy at the appropriate dose. Thank you very much. I would like to acknowledge that the program itself was possible through educational grants from Novartis and the BI Lilly Alliance. And I hope you found this podcast helpful. Thank you.